You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Hello, and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Jesse David Fox. We have another rerun episode for y'all as we're working very hard to make sure when the show comes back in a couple months, it is truly better than ever. This rerun is actually one of my absolute favorite episodes in the entire show. It might be my favorite, period. Nikki Glazer. It's not just that I love roast jokes, which I do and have since I was watching the Friars Club roast in high school, but it's about how she thinks about each and every one. A roast joke might seem like a math equation sometimes. You add a physical flaw with a personality flaw and you get a punchline. Both Nikki and all the truly best roasters, below the surface of each one is a world of thinking. A roast joke distills the most about a person in the shortest combination of words possible. And Nikki is a modern master. It should be noted she is a terrific stand-up in her own right. Earlier this year, she put out a special on Netflix called Bangin', which Vulture put in its top five in its list of the top specials of the year. She also has a half-hour set coming out tomorrow, December 31st, as part of Netflix's Degenerate series. In this interview from October 2018, we talk about her set from the Bruce Willis roast, which was her second after the 2016 Rob Lowe roast. Earlier this year, she crushed at the Alec Baldwin roast. As you're about to learn, this should not come as a surprise considering how insanely hard she works on these sets. So here is Nikki Glazer at the Comedy Central roast of Bruce Willis. Happy New Year. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, everyone! He's so cute, so adorable. I bet you eat pussy, but only with the crust cut off first. Isn't that his luck? Speaking of crusty pussy, I'll get to you in a second, Sybil. I, um... I know. I know. Martha Stewart, thank you for being here. Seriously, and congratulations on getting that Thai soccer team out of your vagina. and into your sweatshops. That's where they are now. Surprisingly, Martha said that prison food wasn't that bad, just, you know, as long as it was clean shaven, so. She loves attention to detail. Is she laughing? I'm terrified of her. No, I, and my, honestly, Martha Stewart, I'm a huge fan. And my mom is an even bigger fan. My mom has learned everything from Martha Stewart about cooking and cleaning and withholding affection. So <laughs> it's close to my heart. 
Kevin Pollack is here. Uh, such an amazing actor. Most uh, I know Kevin as like one of the greatest impressionists of all time. I'm a huge fan. My favorite of his is um, he does an amazing Robin Williams. I, I just wish he would finish it. <laughs> yeah, okay guys, listen, all I'm saying is that we've lost a lot of greats to suicide recently and it's time we lose some okays. <laughs> Sybil's gorgeous. I'm like honored to meet her and um, and her resume is insane. Like if you look at it, it's just like model, actor, singer, you name it, she's fucked it. <laughs> I wish that one too. I don't know any of these people. Sybil, why am I here? Ugh. <laughs> Literally, you have like no friends. Um, <laughs> Truly so cool to be sharing the stage with these badass women, Sybil Shepard, Martha Stewart, uh, Margaret Cho, I'm sorry, Dom Herrera. I, uh, sorry. I thought that was... Dom Herrera, I know, you sleepy potato. Dom, I love you, but how did you have a stroke on both sides of your face? Explain that. I don't get it. Dennis Rodman, what's up? Dennis Rodman. Oh, I first met Dennis just earlier tonight when he tried to sell me incense on the sidewalk. <laughs> I don't want any, okay? <laughs> Edward Norton is here. Hey, buddy. Looks to me like if a marionette became a boy and then that boy became an asshole. <laughs> right? He was so hot in Fight Club, right? When he was Brad Pitt. That was nuts. <laughs> now let's get to Bruce. Bruce. Yes. This is a, honestly a real, uh, a big personal moment for me to be here roasting my dead cousin's second favorite action star. <laughs> I know you obviously as the star of every DVD you kind of just find on the street. <laughs> obviously you had an amazing action film career until Jason Statham started balding. I'm just not familiar with action movies. I don't know, I've never seen a single one of your films consensually. Like, it's always what some guy puts on while he's trying to finger me on his roommate's couch. Do you know what I'm saying? Maybe I didn't understand the fifth element and it wasn't because I'm a dumb girl, but because it's hard to follow that plot when you're fighting off a roofie and there's a knuckle inside you, you know? Just me? Oh, I loved The Sixth Sense, though. I loved, and the ending when the guy came in my eye and I didn't have to watch the rest of it, that was great. <laughs> a lot of people don't know that Bruce is a very talented musician because he isn't. <laughs> Bruce has also been very active with the Make-A-Wish Foundation, which is where they make sick kids meet you so dying doesn't seem so terrible. <laughs> so cool. Bruce, in all honesty, thank you for having me here. You're really cool, you're so hot, and, I, and this is a special night, you really are. 
It's a special night, obviously. Your families, your daughters must be so proud of their father, Ashton Kutcher. Thank you very much. Good night. And we are here with the comedian you just heard tell those jokes, Nikki Glazer. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. So we're talking about roasts. And I think I'd like to start at the very beginning of before you ever did one, when you were just sort of a maybe before you were a comedian or when you were an aspiring comedian. Were they something that you watched? Were they on your radar? Was it something you like aspired to do at some point? I don't think so. You know, I think what... Uh... I do like about roasts in general is that they're just jokes. It's just one-liner jokes. Those were always my favorite comedians starting out were comedians who kind of did one-linery things. Mitch Hedberg, Wendy Liebman, Sarah Silverman, when I first started doing comedy, she was more of a one-liner comic. I just, I, I like good jokes that exist within just as a little capsule. And then you move on to the next one, like little non sequiturs. And so I think that's, that's the great thing about roast jokes is that you're done once you're done. Well, let me preface this before I ask this, because I think not many people know this, but as far as I know, every comedian who's asked to do sort of the bigger roasts asks their friends to pitch jokes. Yeah. So before you did the roast yourself, had you ever written for anyone else? Yeah, I wrote for uh, Amy Schumer for, uh, I think, a couple of her roasts. You know, she would she would do what I do, which is send out emails to her friends who she thought would b- write some funny jokes yeah. and just like, hey, I'm paying. <laughs> if you write me some good jokes, I'll pay you. All right, moving through time. We're now at the Rob Lowe roast. Mm-hmm. Nikki Glazer is called up to the big time. Uh, what was the situation like? What did you learn from it? I got asked to do this roast pretty late in the game because I think they were holding out for a more famous name, which they generally do. I mean, they want names on this thing. And um they did put me on the roast because they couldn't get Whitney Cummings or whoever. But I wasn't going to write until I got an offer. Yeah. I was going to waste my time. And then as soon as I did, I sent out the email to all my friends, like, start writing jokes. And then I got to work. And um, it literally is the biggest platform you can have as a stand-up comedian, I realized. the When I just did the Bruce Willis one, I'm like, this is the most exposure you get as a stand-up. Nothing is like what The Tonight Show was, where you like do it and you're famous, but has proven over and over again to be like a clear like Kickstarter to a person's direction. Yes, it's got I I was on Dancing with the Stars because of it, whether or not America's watching it, which they are still they get great ratings. But um, it's just a, a way to be showcased for the for the industry. I think there's a certain sort of as, as I think of it, like roast jokes, kind of like monologue jokes, there's a bit of like a math problem to them. So I, yeah, that's the what hope, I like about him. The hope is that I am essentially just asking you to show your work. Yeah. Obviously. Tonight, Jeff is dressed as Prince, the Prince of Wales, the animal, you're fat. Oh, yeah. So Jeff Ross dresses every year as like a character. And that year he was dressed as Prince because Prince had just died. I think that was one I beat it out with Schumer on the phone. I think that one is really just about how all these roast jokes are either calling someone old, fat, irrelevant, a drug addict, like just yeah. these basic things. And it's just, that was just a way to kind of poke fun at the idea that we're just always trying to get to a fat joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And th- that really was one where you showed your work. Yeah. And it was just, it, it was one of my favorites because it's so silly and it had a good rhythm to it. Jimmy A. Carr is what Ralph Macchio has to do to find a place to sleep every night. <laughs> 
I'm glad you're picking ones that I wrote because sometimes people are like, this is your best one. I'm like, I didn't even write it. But I guess it was the delivery that you're really (laughs) responding to. Um, Jimmy A. Carr. I just knew that Jimmy and Carr were two words that were like, that had other meanings. And I was like, if his middle name starts with an A, this is gonna. I'm gonna have something here because Jimmy a car is a phrase that I can find a way to yeah. make a joke. I didn't know where it was going yet, but I was like, and I googled, and his middle name is Alfred or something. Yeah, I think it's, but it's a- a. Anthony. Yeah, yeah, Anthony. I was like, hallelujah! <laughs> I was so excited when I googled Jimmy Carr's middle name. So, um, and then Jimmy a car. I was like, what's how do I tie that into someone else? Ralph Macchio is down and out. The joke is about him is that he's not working anymore and yeah. he's homeless. So that's how he gets into a car to sleep at night. There's three jokes or a few jokes that you did a similar thing. David Spade, the host with the most step stools in your apartment. <laughs> David, you've seriously influenced so many female comics haircuts. <laughs> I'm so, Rob defies age restrictions. <laughs> To have sort of that many style of like misdirections, do you think, do, do you remember if you were intentionally doing that to be like, oh, if it's like a thing that'll it'll be like a theme stylistically or it's just sort of. Those are always my favorite types of jokes anyway, because I grew up listening to like Wendy Liebman and Kevin Nealon. Yeah. And I just love that little one word can change the whole meaning of a joke. I just have always been so impressed by those kind of jokes. And so I like to do them a lot. Putting them all together like that, I feel like. I'm messing with the fact that the audience thinks that they know what I'm going to do, but I still was able to surprise them with each Mm -hmm. one of those. And so it proves that even a tired joke formula can be surprising and work even when you see it coming. So, and last, I think, I I imagine this is the one that got the most attention, which is... The only person you will ever make happy is the Mexican who digs your grave. I wanted to go hard on Ann Coulter. Amy was the one that was really like, hey, you have a chance here. Like everyone, like just say what everyone wants to. Just go hard Mm. on her. Go harder than you want to go. And I really took that to heart and was like, I will. Because what do I have to lose? Like if I want to stand out, that's a great way to stand out. And then that joke was pitched to me by Mike Lawrence, who is a great roast joke writer and roaster. He's done roast battle and won roast battle and... um. But Mike Lawrence wrote that joke and that was pitched to me like while I was in the makeup chair right before we were going on because they were like, here's some jokes no one's doing yeah. that the writer's room came up with. That's way too dark for like a non-comedian. To yeah. And, and and Mike really believed in it. And I trust Mike. And I think that everyone in my trailer at the time was like, oh, my God, that joke. I didn't like the joke because it mm-hmm. was like it's a racist joke that I didn't like. I didn't like throwing Mexicans under the bus yeah, in a it, joke about that is supposed to be like them saying fuck you to her a little bit while on the road to say something mean you do what you do hear what you don't do really in almost any other times in a roast joke which is like oh let's just throw stereotypes in yes i think a lot of roast throw stereotypes in for the hell of it it didn't need to be a mexican it could have just been the person who digs your grave yeah and it would have still been a good joke but throwing in the Mexican, it's like, well, she hates Mexicans, so a Mexican maybe might have more relish the fact that they get to dig her grave. But it also is saying that Mexicans dig grave more more yeah. than white people or whatever. And I didn't like that sentiment of it. And I kind of cringe every time it's brought up or like represented of me as a comedian because I'm like, I could have been called out for being racist in that yeah. joke that was supposed to be 
going against someone who is blatantly racist. So it, it was a little bit, I, I'm, it's not my favorite joke, but I'm grateful for it. And a lot of times <laughs> as a celebrity or anyone who's in the spotlight, you get thrust into the spotlight for something that you were like, I almost didn't even say that. Or I'm, I, I regretted saying that at the time. And it's not like I don't like the joke. I did it. But yeah, and I don't want to I'm only saying this because I don't want to insult Mike Lawrence who wrote the joke, but it's not my favorite joke. It succeeds at being a mean thing to say. That's what it does. <laughs> and but it's, it's not the other jokes are funnier. Yes, I agree. There's I, more surprising. I, yes, it's just the meanest thing to say. And sometimes you need to say that sure. to Ann Coulter. I just <laughs> wish it didn't throw Mexicans under the bus. So years pass and the Bruce Willis roast is announced as you mentioned, you knew they asked Natasha first. <laughs> I found out later. Oh, you found out later. In my head, you were like, just like, well, hey, Natasha, she wrote me and yet? was like, you know, I was thinking about doing it. And then I decided not to. But I have some jokes if you want them. Oh. And uh, so she was kind enough to just offer as soon as it was announced that I was doing it. She texted me and offered her jokes. And uh, her husband, Moshe Kasher, was like, I wrote all these jokes for <laughs> Natasha when she thought she was doing it. And here they are. And I'm like, thank you so much. For because I had told Comedy Central, like, hey, I know that you're probably going out to Natasha. I mean, she has a show on your network. Yeah. I don't. I have a radio show, but like, and I would want Natasha on my roast too. She's killer. So I knew that it was like, and I told them, I like took them aside, some of the executives, and I'm like, you can have us both. You can have two yeah. youngish, hot, com- you know, like the pretty girl comedian that's the role that you need to fill where you everyone calls her a whore. Yeah. You can have two of those. I guess that's. That must be. You don't why need just one. They're like, well, then what will they able to be joke? They're they're too. That person's gonna get the jokes about how she's a slut. But then what yes. are we gonna say about this person? I was just like shaking them, being like, now is a better time than ever to have two women that kind of check the same box for you. It's okay to have two of us. Yeah, I, I promise. I'm blonde. I'll stay blonde. <laughs> She'll stay uh, petite and. Yes brunette and i'll stay lanky and blonde and then there's a but um yeah but in the end twins jokes yeah in the end she um much as most comedians who have done roses roast will tell you that it is it's the hardest thing i've ever done besides dancing with the stars um Mm. which is a totally outside of my wheelhouse entirely but for comedy preparing for and i've heard also for um award shows if you host an award show that's grueling is it because all the jokes are like you you can't tell which one is like much better like they all seem pretty good yeah and you can't try them out anywhere without i mean you can try them out and i do but to do so you have to go hi guys hi i know you're here to see me do stand up at the comedy cellar but i'm gonna do roast jokes and people get excited but you don't you aren't getting a real reaction yeah. that you would the night of the roast because Bruce Willis isn't on stage and Coulter's not on stage. I'm just saying awful things about people that aren't there. So it feels meaner than it would if they yeah. were there laughing along. So you don't get a good litmus test for any of these jokes. And then also I asked too many people to submit jokes for me because I just was like the more the merrier. And so I was operating my own writer's room without any help. And yeah. so organizing hundreds of jokes and oh, yeah. going through and making sure that I know that this is this person's joke. So I pay them if I end up using it and and just keeping just the clerical work that was needed to keep track of all these jokes and hundreds of jokes. Yeah, I, mean, I can hundreds, only imagine. And you're whittling it down to 10 minutes. Yeah, because if you ask 10 people, for, they'll send in 30 jokes oh, already. Yeah. That's 300. Oh, it's so many. And I asked way too I had too many cooks. 
And so I'll do it a different way. The next time I do it, I'll literally hire an assistant to come watch me and be like, this one worked, this one didn't, and mm-hmm. talk after my sets because it was too much. It was so much work for me to do. And, you know, it takes years to plan a stand-up set. And this takes, it's a month that you're doing yeah. all new material. And so it Where everyone it else was, does have a room. I was not yeah. pleasant to be around the month preparing for the roast. So for the Bruce Willis roast, eventually how far ahead of time do they let you know you're doing it? And, like, do you at that point, like, set like a goal of like, I want to do it X. I wasn't hearing from them about the Bruce Willis roast and I was really on them. Like, give it to me. I need to like start writing if I'm going to do it. And so I, I don't even know if it got to Comedy Central, but I gave my agent some, an ultimatum and I was like, the roast happens July. It was like July 19th or something like that. And I was like, if I don't know by July 1st, I'm not doing it mm-hmm. because I need that many days. I need like th- little less than three weeks is enough time for me to com- get it together. And you got. And I got yeah. it. Yeah. I don't know if it, the ultimatum got to them. I just think that by that time they were ready to give an offer. But it, it came in right under right over three weeks. As you're starting to the process, did you like set an intention of like, I want to do it this way? Is there sort of like. Yeah, you look at the dais and you go, like, what's going to be my angle? For me, it's always, like, just great jokes. Like, I just want to be the person that gets written up the most. And, like, the day after the roast, everyone says the 10 best jokes. You just want as many Mm -hmm. of those in there. I also wanted to, you know, I know a controversial joke can really make you stand out. Like, it's not a bad thing to get written about and say, she went over the line, Mm -hmm. you know? That's worked for some people to elevate their career. So... My first instinct on the Bruce Willis one was like, I don't care about this guy, really. <laughs> yeah. And um, I the- need to come from a place like there's going to be women watching who like me who haven't seen his movies, don't care, know him as the husband of Demi Moore, know his daughters. I just wanted to represent where I came from mm-hmm. as a woman and like I have a voice for those women watching and and be like, okay, good. Like she's... I just wanted to be, I didn't want to be written about as like, she went too far. I didn't, I don't want to do that anymore. I kind of am trying to get away from that a little bit because I went there the last time. So I think this time I was just trying to really be authentic and, yeah. and say something about myself in my set. So like I, that, I think that's what I, that's the difference is like, I wasn't proving myself as a good joke writer. I'd done that before. It, this was more about like, I want to showcase myself because this is people watch this. And if, this is a way to be like, this is who I am as an artist. So it was the first step you start, you email all your all your yeah. writers. And then at that point on, how you start, are you essentially writing nonstop? Are you, yes. is it like you do research first and you write? To do, or how's the exact Yeah, I'm bouncing with- all over the place. I'm on Wikipedia pages. I'm, um, uh, but what I do find is that I, I, my set ends up being like 70%, 65, 75, eight, eight, 60 to 80% my own jokes. Yeah. Because the jokes that I get from other people just inspire me. And so I kind of wait for the first batch of jokes to come in. And then those, then I go, oh, yeah, I remember how to do this. It's like a very fancy writer's assistant. Yes. Sending you prompts. I wouldn't be able to do it without help. I, I think it's so valuable. I, I have no um, ego about doing other people's material because I essentially pick the jokes I want to do. I'm curating it. I'm doing the delivery. Like there's some ownership to be had over jokes that you don't write. To use a joke that seemingly will involve an amount of research and then, so there's the Make-A-Wish joke. That was written by my ex-boyfriend, Jeff Wesselschmidt. She sent the full joke? 
Yeah, I just saw that instantly. I think that was in the first batch of jokes I got from anyone. That was one of the first jokes. Yeah, and there's it just, nothing to add to it. And I took it out, and it immediately worked on every set I did. And that was one that just like never left my set. It's, it. I love a good make a wish joke. I I often use that as a punchline because when something really good happens to me, I go, "Is this my make a wish?" It's just like a line that always gets a laugh yeah. for me if I'm doing Conan or whatever. And um, and so I, I it was a good reference and. Yeah, it just it made me it made me laugh, and it it's just one of those jokes that you're like, I know this is a safety, I know it's gonna work. You have three jokes about Damarero's face: the stroke one, there's the one that looks like Margaret Cho, and there's uh, yeah. you sleepy potato, sleepy potato, yeah. You just Google image search Damarero's oh. face. I mean, there was just like nothing else about him that I was really that interested in talking about. It was really mean. I talked to him. I wrote all those jokes and then I met him a couple nights before the roast. We were both at the improv running our sets and he was like, I just don't want people to say anything about my face. And I was just like, oh dear, no. Oh no. But he was like, I just can't open my eyes anymore. I don't know what the problem is. Like I can't keep them open. You get older and it's just your face betrays you. And I was like, oh God. I felt really bad, but I also was like, I I couldn't not say, first of all, Sleepy Potato just came, like, I just looked at a picture of him and was just, I think that I wrote that the night before because I was really struggling with how to, like, you know, you want to say something funny when you even say their name, you know? And so that was easy even for me to be like, hey, Damarero's there, you Sleepy Potato. Or I, at first I go Margaret Cho. Well, it, it just is accurate. It just it's is just funny. Just, it just is. He looks like specifically Margaret Cho. He does. I mean, he does. And I'm sorry. And it it feels bad. It it was a joke that I was like, I hope no one, I hope, hope people don't come after me for that because I wouldn't blame them. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't blame her. And she's another female comic. So I felt kind of mean just because that's not nice to her either. Yeah. And she's not there. So like, why do it? But it was, ch- sometimes you just weigh meanness against funniness and sometimes funny prevails. And that joke was too funny not to do. You have a few jokes about people's looks, but you don't do the, you look like this. Right. Is that intentional or do you think that's just, it feels you old. Look like, like, because like, Jeff does that. Jeff is like. Yes. Do you think it's just sort of like, it feels a little bit older? I recently did it on Good Morning America because I often get asked like, will you roast people? Because I'm a roast comic. And it's just, <laughs> they never know that it's terrible out of the setting of a roast. Like yeah. it just seems mean. So I got asked on Good Morning America to like, I was there promoting Dancing with the Stars and the judges for Dancing with the Stars were there. They're like, will you roast the judges? Are you going to be roasting them this season? And I was like, no, because they're going to be scoring me and I don't want to start off on a bad foot, but I will roast Tom Bergeron because Tom Bergeron's the host of Dancing with the Stars and he was there and I'd never met him. But in the green room, he had been kind of like, he had said that he'd seen me in a documentary about stand-up. So I was like, oh, he's aware of that I'm a stand-up and he can take a joke and he's funny. And so I was struggling right before we went on air. They were like, you're going to roast Tom. Just think of a joke about Tom. And I'm like, oh, so easy, right? (laughs) Let me just think. I'm that getting truly my. Really is a professional version of like you're a comedian. Tell me a joke. I, I got mad at the publicist. I'm like, you can't just ask me to write a roast joke five minutes before I go on live TV, but I'll try. So I pulled up a picture of Tom Bergeron, and I was just like, "What does he look like? What does he look like?" And the makeup guy was like, "He looks like Dustin Hoffman, kind of." And I was like, "Oh, he does. Okay, there's a place to start." And so then I went up to my friend Bobby Bones, who was on the show, who is uh, a funny guy, and I was like. What kind of Dustin Hoffman does he look like? He looks like a, you know, a, a just for men hair gel. Like, I want to say he looks like an ego's men's warehouse. And I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. So I I did the lazy version of a joke because I was like, oh, I can do a lazy version. Yeah. So I said, Tom Bergeron looks like a men's warehouse version of of 
uh, Dustin Hoffman. He looks like Dustin Hoffman. And it killed. But it was the first time that I had said looks like. Yeah, yeah. But it was just because I didn't have time to write a better joke. And not to say that. But the thing is, then I learned maybe that's where you should start stop anyway because it kind of just cuts through it. It's yeah. It's like, you look like this, boom, done. So uh, the Kevin Pollack, oh, Robin Williams Oh, my joke. favorite joke. So all your jokes are pretty short, but that one has a longer setup. Oh, man. It was it had a longer ending, too, that I had to chop off. I go, uh, so I joke that he should kill himself. And I'm like, no, but seriously, like, yeah, it was the thing about your loved ones will miss you. And by your loved ones, I mean your assortment of hats. <laughs> but the part that I kept that I loved is we've lost a lot of greats. Because I wanted to acknowledge, like, this is the thing is Anthony Bourdain had just killed himself. Kate Spade had just killed herself. It was in the zeitgeist suicide and obviously famous people killing themselves. And I was like, I know this is going to get a huge groan. I know people are going to be talking about it and saying how insensitive it is that I would say that. And and the, the joke was inspired because of the I had gotten a, a someone had written a joke that, oh, he's an impressionist and he does a Robin Williams impression. They didn't write that joke, mm-hmm. but it just had mentioned it. I was like, oh, really? And then I was like, oh, there's my ticket to a yeah. suicide joke. And th- that's what I wrote from there. But um Saying we've lost a lot of greats, but it's time to lose some OKs. Like when I wrote that, that was just one that I was like, that is one of my favorite jokes I've ever written. And and it's just it's so insane to tell someone to kill themselves. It's like such an insane thing to say that twice, twice really <laughs> lean into it. I talk a lot about suicide in my act. I think a lot about suicide. I'm a depressed person. It's something that I my I have dark thoughts about it. And I feel like. If I don't talk about it and if I don't lean into it, then it's winning. And I just kind of I want to acknowledge it more. I'm not scared to go into it because I feel like I've I've lost loved ones to it. Anyone that can go. The the best thing about suicide jokes, because I was running this joke around town before I did it on live TV or on, on the roast or whatever. And I remember one time a girl in the front row was like, not cool. And I go, oh, have you lost someone to suicide? And she's like, yeah. And I go, so has everyone, everyone. I go, the only reason I'm going to honor anyone being offended by that joke, because all that joke says is that we've lost, like. It'd be something if she was like Kevin Pollock's daughter and she was offended, but. Even so. Yeah. I, honestly, the only person that can get offended by a joke about suicide is the if you committed suicide. Yeah. And guess what? None of those people are here tonight. So <laughs> shut up. We've all I, I've I've lost loved ones. I've struggled with suicidal thoughts. So I, I really feel um, like more entitled to that joke than any joke. And I probably should feel less entitled to it, to be honest, because it's the meanest one. But I also I got a lot of backlash for that. But then I also realized, like, I know that Robin Williams would think that's funny. I just know. Yeah. I don't know. I never met him, but I just know that he would think that's because it's funny. It's funny. It again. The funniness beats the offensiveness. So I went to the Justin Bieber roast years ago, but the week before and I was in L.A. and I saw like the entire show ahead of time. I saw yeah. Natasha twice, Hannibal three times, Jeff four times and Chris D'Elia once. Whoa. <laughs> it was it, I was there specifically to see a lot of shows, but it was a thing of like and we have a surprise drop in and it was Jeff. Always. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think that you spoke to a little bit, but what did you get from that? Like, was what did you learn? Do you remember anything that changed from any of those sets? Like, where were you going up? I was going up at the Laugh Factory, the improv, and just different bar shows and the comedy store a ton because uh, I was in L.A. right before it. I mean, I was killing with this one bit. Like, it was going to be my signature bit. It was going to be the bit that I was like, oh, this is going to get written up. But it relied on the fact 
that Bruce Willis's daughters were in the front row and they were having fun and they looked super hot. They had to be all of these things because I was going to say, you know, I really relate to you, Bruce, because I feel like I just off enough looking to be one of your daughters. I go, I really relate to your daughters. Like we, we have really hot moms, but our dad's goofy DNA won out in the end. That was the joke. And I was going to be like, we're so close to being hot. Aren't we girls? We're this close. And everyone was like, you can't do that. And I'm like, why? I'm saying we're hot. Yeah. And I'm lumping myself in with them. And they're like, you don't understand, Nikki. They, they're, they're really, it's really sensitive. And they're, but they're, what if they're not hot? And I'm like, they are hot. I know these girls. They are hot. I was looking at pictures of them. I'm like, you can tell a hot girl. She isn't that hot because she knows she's hot. And that's hot. And I'm. I'm the same caliber of hotness where it's like I'm a comedy nine, you know, and I can I can take someone saying you're that's all I got told on the roast was that like you are hot, but not that hot. Like (laughs) you look like a model from behind and then you turn around and everyone's like, no, you're not. So I was like, they can handle it. And I wish I would have done that joke because they would have fucking loved it. They were having a ball and they looked stunning. So no one would have been like, you're calling ugly girls ugly. It would have been like you're calling yeah. hot girls ugly because they looked so stunning. Yeah, because the joke is depending on people also thinking that because it, it's, yes. it's, it's just like the Michelle Wolf thing because people were mad because they made it. A con- they jumped to a conclusion that she was saying she's, she's ugly. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But Michelle wasn't saying that. If I would have implied that we're ugly, it wouldn't have worked if they were actually ugly, which yeah. they aren't. But everyone leading up to it didn't really know what they looked like and was like, no, they're ugly, Nikki. I'm like, no, they're not, you idiots. And so the night before I was set to do that because it was crushing. Yeah. And it was like every it was the joke. Everyone after my sets would come up and go like, oh, my God, that's going to be insane. They're going to be there. And I was so excited to do it. And then one person got in my head and was like, I don't think you should do it. And I was like, really? And then Jeff Ross, I I talked to him the night before and I go, I have this joke. What do you think? And he goes, listen, don't put it in the prompter. So don't have it like there. Mm -hmm. Do it if you're having fun in the moment and you see them laughing. And I wish I would have put it in the prompter because if it's not in the prompter, I just like forgot Forgot about about it. it. Yeah. The Edward Norton joke where he looks like a marionette became a boy who became an asshole. Yeah. Does that joke, do you need an audience to tell you like, to, so that you know that people other than people other in than Hollywood. me, other than people in Hollywood, because it's a Hollywood thing, known thing that he's an asshole and yeah. rewrites scripts. And he's I learned all about these things that I didn't know about Edward Norton doing <laughs> a little research, but like he's not fun to work with, apparently yeah. all these things. It worked for me not knowing he was an asshole almost immediately because he just looks like an asshole. And so that one just like that was one that on the page worked immediately. And then uh, my friend Bob Castrone wrote that joke. So um, you, you alluded to, but what's really great about the bruce willis set in comparison to the rob Lowe set is there's like it's just way more you jokes like jokes yeah. that feel like they <sighs> are an extension of your stand-up yes or even like there's the joke about the martha stewart joke that's really just a joke roasting your mom that one was i didn't even plan on doing that joke that was not in the prompter but i had it i had been working on it all week and it just was one of the ones cut right before just for time and then she wasn't that nice to me backstage right before we went on. Like, I could just tell she yeah. was as cold as I thought she was. Because I thought, certainly she's not as cold as I'm writing all these jokes out to be. And then she was. And I was like, I've got to do that joke because there's so much truth in that joke on every level. And I just witnessed it backstage. You you wanted to, this is your second one, like, let's have it be more a reflection of, like, what my comedy is. Yeah. I just wanted to, like especially coming from the place of the Bruce Willis thing of like, I wanted to write to women who have been fingered on a couch to his movies. I also, um, 
My first, when I found out about the Bruce Willis roast and I got it, the first thing I wrote in my phone was like, it's such an, the first thing that came to mind was like, it's such an honor to be roasting my dead cousin's favorite action star. (laughs) It would mean so much to him. It doesn't to me, but it would mean Mm -hmm. a lot to him. That just was like the most truthful thing that came out of my head right when I got it. So I was like, and my cousin is dead. He's (laughs) died when he was 30 of alcohol fucking poisoning. It's really tragic and awful. But he did love Bruce Willis, and I know that he would think it was special. He, If he were alive, he would have thought it was so cool. I would have gotten him tickets to it. So for me, I that joke wasn't killing by any means, but I left it in, honestly, to like honor my cousin. It, it was the <laughs> weirdest thing, but he was a huge fan of comedy and uh, would have been really proud of me in that moment. And I was like, okay, I'll, cu- I'll call out my cousin JD in this moment. One of the things that really jumped me was the joke that um, uh, I've never seen one of your films consensually. Oh, yeah. You've talked about how people call you a, a sex comedian, yeah. partly because you're a woman. And, and you I know, talk about sex a you lot. You talk about sex a lot, and you have a show about sex. But also, yeah. a male comedian talks about equally about sex. I've never heard a male comedian called a sex comedian. Yeah, I haven't either. That's really interesting. <laughs> but I think it's, I was thinking about it's partly because when a woman jokes about their vagina, that is considered a sex joke. But when a man jokes about their penis, it is not. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, Sorry, I, it's I, such a weird double standard. I really, I, I try to get away from the sex stuff and now I'm just like, ah, whatever. I I really do feel like being cagey about sex is what's holding us back as a culture, like so much. I think it's as just shame in general, which is so wrapped up in sex is, if that's what I'm labeled as because I'm outspoken about sex, then it's fine because I am I feel like, I, yeah. Especially like as that joke alludes to, like in these times, whatever, yeah. do you feel like, that you feel more empowered by it? That joke was really written about the usual suspects because I, at first it started out as a joke of like all the men, Fight Club, usual suspects. We have all these, Kevin Spacey was in, or uh, Kevin um, Pollock is in usual suspects, Edward Norton, Fight Club, Bruce Willis, all of his movies. They're all, the, the, the fifth element, they're all movies that men, I was going through them and I'm like, these are all movies that I watched because I was about to hook up with a guy. Yeah. I'm like, there's something there. And the more I talk to women, I'm like, yeah, this is a thing. that uh, It's a movie the guy puts on. And I wanted to say that I've gotten fingered to these movies and just watched the screen dead-eyed as I'm being... Fing- like, yeah. I've watched scenes and not known what's happening because I'm trying to deal with what's maybe mm-hmm. happening to me. And it's it, and the thing is, the, the the sex act is consensual. Like, I'm agreeing to be... like the, the, Those are all consensual. But the movies themselves always felt like... I don't want to watch this, but okay. Yeah, it just, it felt of the times to say that. And it felt true. Like, I don't want to watch those movies. And I had to. And I still don't want to watch them. And there's still movies I see all the time for men. And men do the same thing for us. Chick flicks or whatever. But um, that was one of those jokes that, like, I've never seen one of your movies consensually. I literally wrote it as, like, that was me getting to a point, but that just got a laugh out of nowhere. Yeah. And I was like, oh, is that funny? I didn't even know. Sometimes you write a joke as a comedian, you go, why is that funny? It's just truth. It's true, but the framing of it and like I think the word consent is in the ether and you're using yes. it differently. And it's funny because I was thinking about it, uh, Cameron Esposito's special rape jokes, which is about the idea of rape jokes, but it's also about her own sexual assault. And I talked to her about it and a lot of it was... Comedians have the ability of sort of expand the vocabulary of how we talk about these things in these times. So it's it's a, expanding the definition of like, yes, consent is a great thing. And we we are limited in our ability to talk about it. And a comedian has the ability to exp- expand that. And what this consensual joke somewhat does is like, 
There's a lot of things men are doing that we are not agreeing to. Yes, on every level. I think that's it. It's and it is that word. And I'm I'm as I'm thinking about the joke itself, it's a misdirect because it says, I've never seen one of your films, which is you're presenting that, whichever that's kind of a funny idea that yeah. Bruce Willis, I'm here and I've never seen any of your films. And then you say consensually, it means, oh, I have seen your films. And then, so it's a complete misdirect. So it's a jo- it's a great joke in, in two different ways because it hits on the ken- consensually is, is a punchline in and of itself, but it also takes you out of thinking, I've never seen a thing and I actually have. We'll be back with more Nikki Glaser after this word from our sponsor. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. We are back with Nikki Glazer. So I want to talk a little bit more about uh, now just like the night of sort of how it all comes together. Uh, are you working on jokes like literally nonstop until the moment you're going on? Yeah, up until the final stretch, I'm like looking at my set going, I could lose this. I don't need this because you just you don't want to give them any jokes that aren't going to be the great the greatest jokes because then they're going to cut it down. They're going to yeah. edit it. And you I would hate to lose a great joke because they kept, they put in a a worse one. one. Yeah. 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 So you show up, you meet everyone. What is that like? You've mentioned that Martha Stewart. Yeah. You just meet them backstage minutes before you walk on. Like that was the first time I met them. I really do think that in the future, if I were to produce a roast, I would have there be like a cocktail party beforehand where you drink a little bit, you get loosened up or the night before, or just some kind of place where you guys meet each other, interact because I just I met Bruce Willis literally seconds before we were seated on stage and he didn't even say anything to me. He literally didn't talk. I was just like, oh, thanks for having me. It's so nice to meet you. And he just kind of smiled and was I think he was nervous. It was just weird. Yeah. And then I'm on stage and I'm talking. The first things I'm saying to him are the, are terrible things. It reminds me of uh, when Andy Samberg did his sort of anti-roast for the. Fr- yes. He's sort of like we're all so scared. So we all are saying mean things about each other because we do not want to do this yes yes it it's it's so weird and then martha stewart i was excited to meet her and she wasn't that warm and then um sybil shepherd i thought she was going to be 
not warm and she was super warm. And then I was like, oh no, I'm saying mean things about her. I feel bad. She was so sweet afterwards. I literally did a joke where, oh, after the, um, they cut it, but after the, um, after I tell Kevin Pollack he should kill himself. And I'm like, speaking of suicide, someone just told me I look like a young Sybil Shepherd. So if I don't leave a note, that's why. <laughs> and um, which I loved that joke, but it was just like so mean and so pointless because I think she's beautiful. It's like, I would love to age like her, but you're just, you know, you, but she, and I was scared to even look at her after I got off stage and she came up to me and gave me the biggest hug and was like, you were amazing. And I was just like, Looking at Martha, like, where's my love, Martha? She didn't even say good job, that old bitch. I think you also mentioned that the Amy Schumer wrote the Thai soccer player's vagina. Yes. She wrote the joke about, yeah, Martha, congrats on getting the Thai soccer players out of your vagina. And as soon as I heard it, I was like, yes. Topical. It's going to still be topical when this airs in three weeks. People still remember that. It's almost going to be better. Now it wouldn't work. Yeah. It's been too long. But it, it would was feel like one timing. of those old. You're like, you it would just be like, wait, this? what? Who? Uh, like it? Yeah. But then it was. It was just so such a uh, a headline that day. And then and then I was like, oh, it'll be two weeks till the roast airs. It'll still be a headline. I got to do that one. And it just it was perfect. So bef- before we get to your set, I'd love you to describe the vibe in the room because from being from in the Justin Bieber roast, so it's a weird room. <laughs> It's just tons and tons of people, very excited, milling about. There's no warm-up comic, which was I was very upset about because I had to go up first after Joseph Gordon-Levitt. They open the show. They do like a video. Then Joseph Gordon-Levitt says his jokes. But he's not a comedian, so he's not great. He's good. He does a good job emceeing. He's Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I mean, he's not setting this. He's not going really hard in. So I'm coming in like hard yeah. and I have to go up first. I really shocked them out of the gate. I, they cut it, but during my set, I literally go, do you guys like me? Cause they were so just shocked. They didn't know how to take me and they did like me, but I had to call out that there was a weirdness in the room because it was just a weird room. Yeah. Bruce Willis's family and friends didn't know if they should laugh. The industry, there's too much industry in the room and the industry, you know, notoriously never laughs. When I went to the Bieber roast and Kevin Hart was the host, he was essentially doing sets between commercial breaks or like yeah. which there's tons of stopping and Kevin like the energy would come down and they'd be like okay let's start and Kevin would be like wait and then he would do like yeah two minutes because he's smart and I had talked to me afterwards like that was one of the most impressive things that, like Kevin Hart like used the full power of Kevin Hart yes. to get a crowd to be not interested to be interested instantly I think that they just forgot to book a warm-up comic I think there are so many things that go on in a production that a warm-up comic literally is the cheapest thing in a production. It's the cheapest thing you can. Yeah. For me, a gigantic error um, on their part to not have someone just go out and just get in the spirit of roasting, you know, talk to the audience and have them ro- yeah. roast the audience a little bit. Like, not, don't do any Bruce jokes. Don't step on material we're exactly. going to to do. But, like, get into the spirit of sh- uh, spirit of shit talking. Yeah. And instead of just coming out completely cold. I mean, literally Ellen has a warm-up comic Yeah, to warm up for dancing. Everyone has a warm-up comic. A roast should have a warm-up comic and they didn't have one. And, um, and thank God for Kevin Hart. But even when I did the, um, Rob Lowe roast, David Spade was the MC. David Spade is a, is a standup. Yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is not a standup. It's different. In the moment, do you care? Like, not like, obviously you don't, you want people laughing at your jokes, but you're like, oh, they're going to edit this. Because I know that I, when I went to the roast, a comedian did very poorly. But and it aired. It aired and I was like. He killed. Killed. Yeah. 
So and did you know that going into it? Yes. I do know that going into that. And I also know always just act as if you're killing. Because a lot of times, even if it's not edited, people in the moment will be like, she, maybe we should act like she's killing too because she doesn't seem to notice that we're not liking this. Like, always act as if, I learned that when I was on Dancing with the Stars, just like, if you mess up a step, just don't make, don't yeah. show it on your face because no one at home will notice. And so I, I use that with the roast too. Like I was not doing as well as I had done all week at clubs where I wouldn't, shouldn't have been doing well because those people weren't there. This was the place where I was so positive the night before the roast that I was like, I was like, I've got this in the bag. I just murdered mm-hmm. at the comedy store at 11 o'clock on a Saturday, which is a hot crowd, but like. The roast wasn't happening. This was, I, I said just this, there. Yeah, yeah, I was just there and it killed. So I was like, I'm fine for tomorrow. I c- couldn't feel more confident. Then I get up there and it's not going the way I want it to. Like I'm not killing. And I refuse to let it show on my face because yes, I do, did know in edits that it could be fine. And then when I did choose to go, do you guys like me? It cut the tension in the room because it was like, come on, get on board. We're at a TV taping. I need you. Yeah. And you have all this in your head of like, oh my God, are they going to edit it to make me look like I bombed? And it's like, no, that's Comedy Central's best interest is to make everyone look as good as possible. So I knew that I was in good hands. Um, the director is amazing and everyone, no one ever looks like they bomb on those unless they're, you know, Mike the situation, yes. Sorrentino or whatever. How was the rest of the show sitting there and then people, because they actually edited yeah. out a lot of the jokes about you. So, but yes. I imagine there were, everyone had at least one. What's it like for well, you? Well, I also learned something because someone told me that, hey, the Justin Bieber roast, this one person didn't do too well, but you would never know unless you watch his reaction shot, unless you watch him in the background mm-hmm. while other people are roasting because he's staring at the floor despondently like what just happened. So even afterwards, try not to look shell-shocked the rest of the night. Just try to be in the moment. And so... I realized from the first roast that so much of your performance is reacting to jokes. People fall in love with you yeah. when you laugh at yourself, when the reaction shots, that's that's a whole nother set you're doing. So I really leaned into just like being in the moment and having as much fun with the jokes about me. You know, and there were so many jokes about me being too skinny, which I was just like, thank you. <laughs> like, that's what you're going to come after. And then there were jokes about me being like ugly. And those really hurt. They were like in the moment they don't. But then you just go, who in the back room? The writer's room yeah. thinks I'm ugly. Who is staring at my picture and just like thinking, oh, she looks like Owen Wilson. Like I was like, I want to fight this motherfucker. Because <laughs> you after- know it's the people you know. It's not like yeah, it's writers. Sybil's writing her. It's the writers that I've been working with. When Sarah came out, Sarah Silverman came out after being called old a bunch and said like she kind of went into a depression afterwards. My first reaction was like, get over it. Like it's a roast. And then I went through it and I'm still feeling the effects of things that were said about me and they were just jokes. And so I know that as a roaster, I wield that kind of power to make someone feel really bad about themselves. And I'm sorry for that, but I feel like I get to do that because I have to also take it. Yeah. It really was. So I remember when Sarah came out to say that and people like, it was like, it's roast, it's jokes. It was like, it completely like broke this fog that everyone does these roasts and they have a nice time. Where, like, I guarantee you the men also feel this way, but they definitely do. Of course they do. I really, I know, hearing Dom Herrera say, like, I hope they don't make fun of my face. And, like, hearing him say that beforehand, I was like, oh, no. And and I know that Jeff tries to get in shape before them. Like, everyone wants to look their best so that they don't feel terrible up there and that people don't say the things that you're scared they're going to say. But it really does, the moment where they were like, 
made a joke that I looked like Owen Wilson and everyone laughs really loud and you go, oh, there's something to this. You just go, oh, God damn it. Jeff likes to say we only roast the ones we love, which seems to be a thing that only Jeff says. Yeah, it is. But I do know some comedians are like, oh, being roasted is like you feel seen in some capacity. Like, are there any good feelings you have towards yes. it? Yes. Oh, my gosh. When it's, when a celebrity, when Martha Stewart says Nikki Glaser, it's like so flattering. It is being seen. It's being acknowledged. It's um, and, and bad press is good press. It's all of that. Yeah. I think that I don't think it's true. You only roast the ones you love, though, because... I, I think that's just a way to couch it to make yeah. it seem less cruel because I've roasted people I hate. So preparing for this, all sort of a back-to-back, I was like watching Not Safe, your Comedy Central show, Dancing with the Stars, and then this. Mm. And there is this sort of like connection of, I wouldn't say like fearlessness, but like your game to do things. Yeah. Would you say that's important for you as like, Beyond just sort of like you're a comedian, but you're like as a person who's like foraying into different forms of celebrity. How important is that as like a thing that you drives you professionally? It's really important because I think that as a child, I was scared of everything. Like I my first word, my first multisyllabic word other than mama, dada or whatever was dangerous. And I used to point out things that were dangerous and I was just scared. I was the mo- I was scared. I slept on my parents floor until I was in eighth grade. Like I was scared of everything everything. And I think now with, after doing stand up, I conquered a fear of stage fright, which I had crippling stage fright until eighth grade as well. Like I, I wouldn't give presentations in class. Mm-hmm. I would go in during recess to give private presentations. Cause I just wouldn't get up in front of people and talk. It was too terrifying. So I think conquering the fear of stand up has led me to just always just run towards my fears because I know that on the other side of it is such a good feeling. And like, as long as you can't die, like I'll do it. I really run towards discomfort because I feel like that is my superpower. I might not be the best joke writer. I might not be the most, the most intelligent, you know, philosophical comedian that leaves you thinking about the world differently. But what I can do better than anyone is run towards the most uncomfortable thing. Sitting there and taking a beating and having your biggest insecurities pointed out in front of millions of people is really not fun. And a lot of people would never sign up for that. And the fact that I'm willing to, and it doesn't really occur to me, like it didn't occur to me that there were going to be jokes about me until I was on the red carpet and someone goes, are you ready for the jokes about you tonight? And I was like, I've been so focused on my jokes. (laughs) I didn't even think about that. I have to, I was like, oh shit. But I am f- still full of fear in so many other ways. But in, in in the ways that other people are that I'm not, I like to run to because I like to be an example for young girls who were like me and scared of everything. And it's like, oh, the worst that can happen is you get called Owen Wilson and then um, more people know your name. Good. So you are good at these. Um, yeah, what does it mean for you as a comic to be good at these as you now continue to do comedy from it? I think it means that I'm dark. That I'm like have a depth to me in my dark, dark soul. I think that you have to be like really got to be like have a little bit of evil in you to write these jokes. So you so I'm a really nice person. Like once people get to know me, like it's I would say the if you took a poll, people would be like, Nikki Glazer's pretty damn nice. Like I'm just a good hang. I'm yeah. I'm I'm always been nice. I want people to like me. I like being nice. I'm nice. I'm from the Midwest. But I think it pro- that I'm good at these jokes. It proves that I I can be not nice very very easily, and I really love it. Would you do another Comedy Central? Work? Yes, 
I said while I was doing it that I would never do it, but I also said that it's kind of like a pregnancy when a woman's in like their third trimester and she's like, remind me that this is hell and never to do it again. Because that's what I said to a bunch of people. I was like, all my loved ones, I'm like, remind me never to do this again because it's so much work. But then I got to a place of, okay, when I do this again, I'm going to do it differently so that I don't lose my goddamn mind. Because it was the hardest I've ever worked. That sound means it's time for our, our final segment. It's uh, the laughing round. It's like a lightning round, but because it's a comedy, it's a laughing round. Great. Got it. Uh, that really makes sense. Cool. Thank Checks you. out. So uh, <laughs> do you have a favorite joke joke? Street joke? Uh, yeah. The one I go to, it's like the only one I can ever remember, but it's um, what's the difference between a refrigerator and an elephant? What? Are you stupid? <laughs> <laughs> like everything. It's just so simple and kids can tell it. That's great. Yeah. If you could steal another comedian's joke in a way in which it's sort of like you remove it completely from their entire life. So now it's yours. So And no one will ever no know. No one know, but you'll maybe know a little bit. But that but it's your joke and you can tell it. It would probably be Rachel Feinstein's joke about she has this joke about her niece trying to get her to get in the tub with her and to get naked because her niece is at that age where she just wants to see women naked and mm. see what it's like. And she says that her niece like coerces her like Howard Stern, like the way Howard Stern used to in like the 90s. And she's like, come on, Rachel, we're family. Like she uses all these like excuses and Rachel's like, that doesn't even check out. And then at one point her niece, her niece is like coercing her and trying to like woo her. And her niece goes, you look like Wonder Woman. And Rachel says that she like felt after that, she was like, oh, Oh my God, I've kind of always thought that about myself. I'm glad someone said it. And later on, she was kind of bragging to her niece's mom, her sister-in-law, like, Cece said I I looked like Wonder Woman. And she goes, Rachel, she says that to everyone. She goes, you didn't get in the bath, did you? (laughs) That line. On average, how many times a week do people assume you're Jewish? All the time. (laughs) All the time. Like once a day? Mm, I would say once a week. And it's funny because I have a lot of Jewish friends that for years think I'm Jewish. And then one random night they'll go, you're not. And they get so sad. It is one of the funniest things preparing for this interview. How often comedians assume you're Jewish and you tell them and they have to pretend they like you as much as they did before. They, they There is a disappointment that I, I see. I see them shift to like, Oh, I don't like you as much any like there there is a shift and I I want to be Jewish so badly so I get it. Like I'm disappointed I'm not Jewish. I made my parents do a 23 and me so I could find out. That's my joke is that's how Jewish I think I am is that I didn't want to pay for it so mm-hmm. I made my parents do sure. it. And not Jewish. I'm so disappointed. Can you do an impression of yourself? Yeah. All the time. Like just talking emphatically like this and being like uh of course. And thinking and just being like, yeah, just, oh, my, my roommate always just, this used to be an impression of me when I used to walk into our apartment. Where, do I have my bag with me? Yeah. Walk, open the door. Oh, that's our impression of me. It's just like distraught. Like just life has just worn me down. And do you have a joke that has never worked? But you will always believe that it's funny no matter what any audience or anyone else says. Oh, you know what joke that I really love that it just doesn't get what I think it deserves? And it does get a good reaction, but people like to groan just because it has key words in it that bother people. But I talk about how I, I don't drink anymore, but I used to drink. And when I drank, I used to like hook up a lot more. Like that's the 
the one thing that like when I got sober, I was just like, I don't have as much sex anymore. And um, and I realized it was because I was like, I was just drinking so that I wouldn't have to feel any intimacy while I have, was having sex. It made it, that's why we all drink. It's like sex is awkward and you try to get past it. And I, and I just used the, I said, um, I would drink to blackout so that I could have sex. So I would Cosby myself into a state where anything could happen and I would wake up the next morning. And then I, so Cosbying myself, people go, oh, and I go, what are we, what are we groaning at that he's a rapist and that I, 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 I don't get it. But I also say like, what if, um, what if that was my take was that like Cosby was just like scared of intimacy. You guys like he was just scared. Like that never works. But that is so funny if that was my defense of Cosby it was like, yeah, he did drug those women. But like it's really hard to open up for him, you know, and he was just scared. So it's just so funny to me to defend him in any way. And uh, people don't want to have it. And I understand that. The end. And the end. And I'm not defending him, by the way. Sorry. I want to go on record. Sorry, no defense of Cosby. He is a monster. I hate him more than maybe anyone else. And I would love to like, I, I think that when I think like, uh, could I murder someone? I only think that maybe him. Got it. Now the end. Now the end. Now the end. That's it for another episode of Good One. Follow Nikki on Twitter and Instagram at Nikki Glazer. You can watch the Bruce Willis roast on the Comedy Central app. You can watch Nikki Glazer's Bangin' and her Degenerate special on Netflix. Good One is produced by me and Mike Comte, with production assistance from Jelani Carter. Justin D. Wright did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. And hey, if you know anyone who might like the podcast, maybe tell them what the heck. You can email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com. I'm Jesse Dave Fox. You can follow me at Jesse Dave Fox. Have a good one. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running. And that's not the case. Most runners hate running. (laughs) But they choose to do it. In the new docuseries Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon, taking place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.